All right. Um, Janet, would you give us an opening prayer? <laughs> okay, my internet, it's not very good. So um, okay. <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yes. Okay, our Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be able to meet tonight and to study the great words of Isaiah. We're so thankful for him, for the sacrifice he made to record and that he even gave his life for this great work. We ask you to bless us that we'll be able to understand more. And we also pray for an understanding of what we need to do to end the drought and help us repent that we might be able to have moisture, Heavenly Father, and bless us again this night. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So, kind of starting off, um, you know, I'm a chart person, so I'm, <laughs> I've got a couple um, things that I, I was working on as I was studying this block. Um, so we have The, the second part of the Bifid structure is rebellion and compliance, which is, um, uh, the, we're studying the first half with King Ahaz and his rebellion this week. Next week, we'll be studying about King Hezekiah's compliance. But all of it piggybacks onto the foundation that we built with the, the ruin and rebirth uh, themes that Isaiah puts out in those, those first chapters. So um, here we have a a big chiasm in the rebellion and compliance uh, literary motif here, um, uh, beginning and ending with a prophetic commission. Uh, Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 40 are um, kind of his ascents or his uh, visions that, that he receives um, on, on different levels of the ladder. And then we have the historical preface, and then we have either the king's rebellion or the compliance, depending on which story it's in. And then um, at the apex, because of what the king does, the people follow suit. So um, at the, the apex of the, the chiasm, we have the people's rebellion and the people's compliance. So we're going to be focusing in on, on this first half tonight with um, the King Ahaz story. So I don't know, I always get confused back and forth with uh, lots of the different uh, names that are thrown out and everything. So um, one of the best resources, honestly, that, that I found was going through the, the Wikipedia page for King Ahaz. And so I'm just going to be kind of reading that as we're looking at this map. Um, so Ahaz's reign commenced at age of 20. So he was 20 years old when he was called to, to be the king. And he, let's see, it says that he rules for, for 16 years before he's killed. So at the age of 20, immediately upon his accession, Ahaz had to meet a coalition formed by the northern Israel under Pekah and Damascus under Rezin. So here we see on, on the map here, we have Jerusalem and Samaria, where the, the northern and southern tribes are, are split up here. And um, we have Ahaz in the south and Pekah in the north and Rezin up in Damascus. So this is way above uh, Galilee, up above the, the tribes of Israel. And these two are coming to Ahaz saying, hey, let's 
band together to combat this uh, Tiglath um, who is taking over the world. So um, they're in Nineveh at the, the center of Assyria. It's starting to spread out and, and really start taking over everybody. And so they wanted to form this coalition with Ahaz in the southern tribe. But in prior generations, you know, all of the relations here, um, the, the, in whatever you call that, in, in Jordan uh, area, have been strained. And so Ahaz doesn't want to go along with the plan. Um, but anyway, Isaiah counsels Ahaz to trust in God rather than in foreign allies and tells him to ask a sign to confirm that this is a true prophecy. But Ahaz refuses and won't seek a sign. Um, yet God gives him a sign nevertheless. And anyway, long story short, Ahaz enters into a uh, emperor vassal relationship with Tiglath and um, uh, to, to beat out Pekka and, and Rezin. So uh, I don't know, just a, a quick little map to kind of see the, the difference and geographically where uh, we're looking at here in this story. Um, but I thought that was uh, kind of a, a good primer foundation uh, before we start heading into the actual story there. Yeah, Janet, did you raise your hand? Yeah, um, so Cameron, <laughs> yeah. how does, how can we apply yeah. that to today? <laughs> does, right. does it apply to today? I think <laughs> and, so, yeah. Um, I want you to name the countries. <laughs> you want me to be on record saying what I think that this applies to? Um, that's going to be interesting. As we go through tonight, I, I think we'll we'll start seeing some some pretty good examples and and stuff. Um, if I just throw out my opinions right off the bat, it'll kind of influence things. I think. Um, so I, <laughs> I'll I'll try to circle back to that one and uh, answer that that at the end. But but yes, I I think it has a direct parallel. As we seen from last week, the, the ruin and rebirth, I, I was asking the question, where are we at in the, are we in part one or are we in part two here in the latter days? And, and it was basically, we were kind of smack dab in the middle of part one. And so I think that this rebellion and compliance stage of um, the, the literary structure, also part one, part two, I think we're almost smack dab in, in part one. But we'll we'll kind of see it. <laughs> I love it. Janet's always wanting me to to be on the spot and <laughs> make some <laughs> some good predictions there. Or, <laughs> um, but yeah. So let's dive into Isaiah chapter six. So let me open up Isaiah explained, and we'll start reading from from there. So this one, uh, this website, Isaiah explained is a very good resource. Why is my mouse not working? Um, to um, read the Isaiah Institute translation. Also, there's the comparative translation up at the top where we have the King James versus the Isaiah Institute. And then the thing that we're gonna be using today for some of these chapters is the apocalyptic commentary. I find these very helpful uh, navigating these, these few chapters here. So in Isaiah 6, this is where Jehovah 
appears to Isaiah in the temple and sends him as a prophet to warn of imminent judgments. So um, I, I'm just going to kind of read some of these things and kind of stop and, and we'll talk about each one. Um, but verse one of Isaiah six says that in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw my Lord seated on a throne, highly exalted, the skirt of his robe filling the sanctuary. So although Isaiah locates chapter six within this first parallel unit of biographical material that comprises part two of a seven part structure, chronologically, it's the first in the book of Isaiah, describing Isaiah's calling as a prophet of God in the year of King Uzziah's death in 742 BC. As Solomon's temple in Jerusalem contained no throne, Jehovah's throne was not in the temple itself, though it may have appeared to Isaiah above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. In his inaugural vision as a prophet, Isaiah sees Jehovah highly exalted, a divine attribute. So why do you think that this is placed out of chronological order? Why is Isaiah chapter 6, the, you know, Isaiah's first uh, vision and calling as a prophet, and, and why is it appearing here, kind of based on, on what he's saying here? Why is it there? And what is he seeing? What is kind of your interpretation on, on this verse? Why is that important for us to know? Any thoughts? So is it there for his scrambling? So that we, <laughs> yep. we would struggle and, and it would make it this far? Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, so that we uh, don't have lots of misinterpretations and uh, changes throughout the, the years of, of translation there. Um, it's interesting to note, I, I think it's in the audio version of the commentary. He talks about the, the skirt of, of a robe. The skirt always applies to posterity. So um, when he is seeing the Lord seated on his throne, the skirt of his robe, meaning all of his posterity, filling the sanctuary. I, I think that that's an important uh, parallel that will come out in Isaiah 40. Uh, when we uh, touch on that next week. Um, so just a, a quick question before we move on. Like I'm, I'm fine reading them or if everyone can see them, uh, I can call on, on volunteers to, to help read as well. But I, on some devices, I realized that that's kind of an interesting thing. So if you would like to, to volunteer to read and stuff, um, uh, raise your hand or, or something, but... Um, in the interim, I can just uh, kind of read the things and we'll, we'll talk about them. So verse two says that seraphs stood by him overhead, each having six wings. With two, they could veil their presence. With two, conceal their location. And with two, fly about. The spiritual levels of seraphs or seraphim in the book of Isaiah appears directly below that of Jehovah as it does here. The fact that Isaiah sees Jehovah, on the other hand, identifies him with Isaiah's son slash servant category, immediately below that of seraphs. Together, these three spiritual levels constitute the highest in the book of Isaiah's hierarchy of seven. Later, after ministering as a prophet for more than 40 years, Isaiah himself assumes the role of seraph. The seraph's wings or veils um, perhaps consist of energy fields that enable them to move or conceal themselves at will. So I find that an interesting packed commentary on one little verse here. Uh, we have lots of interesting information uh, brought about there. But um, 
Sounds like a like, great way to travel. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> let's let's get these six wings here. Um, so it's, it's very interesting that we um, have kind of bookends of this whole thing that Isaiah sees in vision um, something on the the sun's slash servant level and then later on he himself uh, is on a uh, a higher level assuming that of the seraphs and and he then performs those same functions for um, Hezekiah below him which is very fun but yeah uh, when you take this uh, kenapayim the I don't know if I'm pronouncing any Hebrew right but um, uh, take that through the the word links let's do that really quick so um, if we scroll back up here to the interactive concordance, we're going to go to, to verse two and each having six wings. If we click on that wings, we can see every time that the word wings in with that Hebrew word is used throughout the book of Isaiah. So we have it here in six, two, but also we have it in these. Let me see if it brings these up okay for us whoops i knew i would do that 10 18 and 40. let's just kind of take a, a study on the word wings and and what that does so eight verse eight so um it says here in this one that he will sweep into Judea like a flood and passing through reach the very neck his outspread outspread wings will span the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Ten verse let's see. I have impounded the wealth of peoples like a nest, and I have gathered up the whole world as one gathers abandoned eggs. Not one flapped its wings or opened its mouth to utter a peep. It's interesting, if we're taking the, the seraphim idea of wings modes of travel to hide themselves to uh, what did what all did it say there sorry um in six verse two they had six wings two they could veil their presence two conceal their location and two fly about so i think that that's interesting here in a future chapter in chapter 10 that um we're, we're talking about these um people that are uh, being kind of compared to to abandoned eggs or abandoned chicks not one flapped its wings um, if that applies at all to to these six wings mentioned in in chapter six um, and then isaiah 18 uh, woe to the land of buzzing wings beyond the rivers of cush um, that's when jehovah's preparing a way for escape um, uh, again, the, the mode of travel there uh, is an interesting parallel. And then Isaiah 40, where Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 6 are kind of the bookends um, of this uh, chiastic structure of rebellion and compliance. So at the very end here, where he starts with the, the six wings, here it also brings up the wings. It says, but they who hope in Jehovah shall be renewed in strength. They shall ascend as on eagles' wings. They shall run without wearying, and they shall walk and not faint. I think that those are just very interesting parallels as we kind of study this, this wings motif. 
All right, sorry for jumping back and forth. <laughs> Sometimes I, I click around and, and just kind of go for it, but um, yeah, right. that, uh -huh. yeah, that made me think of Joseph Smith's um, first vision, a pillar of light, or maybe like a conduit or like a form of travel. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that, that that way applies here. You know, and you know, with all uh, biblical art, Christian art, angels are uh, depicted with wings. Um, it's interesting that, that Avraham talks about like energy fields or whatever that, that help them move about uh, or conceal themselves at will. Um, you know, here on on the Zion Jerusalem level where <laughs> most of us reside, uh, some of that kind of stuff is almost like unfathomable. We, we just can't quite put it together or imagine what it might be. But um, we know that ministering angels can, can move about and uh, do many things. And so um, it's, it's going to be In that world, I can't imagine another word that you could use to move other than wings. I mean, what else uh -huh. would you say? Uh -huh. A perfect example of moving. And I like the six wings. I didn't pull that out, but thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so on to verse three, it says, they called out to one another, these uh, winged seraphim, and said, most holy is Jehovah of hosts. The consummation of all the earth is his glory. The Hebrew superlative most holy or thrice holy reflects the highest of Isaiah's spiritual levels. That's Jehovah's. Emulating Jehovah are those in Isaiah's seraph and son slash servant categories who are also called holy. The seraph's anthem, the consummation of all the earth is his glory, identifies the purpose of the earth's creation as Jehovah's glory. In other words, Jehovah is glorified by bringing the earth to its consummation, its purpose being fulfilled when it begets holy ones like him. I, you know, I think that that's uh, kind of a, a perfect summary there. Uh, is it, I think it's in the book of Moses. Um, uh, his work and his glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. No, that's in the New Testament. I'm getting my references mixed up today. <laughs> but um, it, that kind of is the, the same idea uh, put forth by different prophets, right? Um, that, that the purpose of this earth is to beget holy ones like him. Um, you know, there's there's lots of different ridicule or whatever uh against the our faith when we are kind of talked about as the god makers right that that we believe that we can can be gods one day um but but that's really what it's all about uh, that's why we came to this earth uh, so that we could uh, return back to his presence but not only that but to progress and, and become like he is there's, it says thrice holy up there, most holy or thrice holy. When I see thrice, I think three. But what, uh -huh. is, what do you think that means? What's, what's that about? Yeah, so let's go look at the comparative translation. So in here's King James versus Isaiah Institute. If you look at the King James, they cry holy, holy, holy. They use the Hebrew word three times. Oh. versus the uh, Isaiah Institute translation uh, uses most holy. So if we go over here to the uh, Masoretic, we'll see that it does use that, uh, the kados, 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 
uh, three times there. I, I have no idea. I'm not uh, a good translator or anything like that. I don't know why Isaiah or Avraham translates it as most holy instead of the, the three, but um, especially in King James and the Masoretic, it, it, it's holy, 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 meaning that thrice holy that, that he talks about. I've, I wondered if it had something to do with the Godhead, the three but probably not. But and it definitely could be. Um, it, like he talks about here, um, they're emulating Jehovah. And so it's applying to the, the Jehovah level of the ladder, the seraph level of the ladder, and the son servant category of the ladder. Oh. So holy, holy, holy. Yeah, um, it could be that. Which is an interesting parallel as well. Because you don't usually see holy three times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's very reverential or, or very reserved for special circumstances, right? Yeah, Janet? Um, going back to um, us becoming holy, I, Isaiah had a second comforter experience, right? In this, mm -hmm. And he, Abraham, explained. same experience and um they would not and the lord knew they would not and um isaiah then knew they would not and so he asked the lord well how long do i have to preach to this people uh -huh. so i just i just thought that was I just loved that explanation because oh, he asked, well, how long do I have to do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like um, as uh, our study group before in person here uh, was studying the book of Ezra and the book of Daniel, uh, both of those prophets asked kind of the same question. How long, Lord? Like <laughs> this is kind of daunting once uh, they received that second comforter experience or the um, this, this holy vision and their commission to be a prophet. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how long do we have to do this? This is, this is going to be hard. Yeah, I love that. Um, so verse four, it says that the threshold shook to its foundation at the sound of those who called and a mist filled the temple. The threshold of the Holy of Holies shaking to its foundation at the seraph's cosmic hymn reflects the power of persons in the seraph category over the elements. Moses demonstrated that power when he smote the land of Egypt with plagues, divided the Red Sea, and brought forth water out of the earth. Similarly, Elijah multiplied the widow's flour and oil, raised her child from the dead, and withheld the rain or returned it again. The mist or cloud of glory that fills the temple attests to Jehovah's manifesting his presence. And we kind of see that in the Moses story as well. You know, that uh, pillar of cloud or let's see, pillar of fire and uh, cloud of whatever. <laughs> the mist and cloud are often used uh, the same Hebrew word there. All of a sudden I'm getting tongue-tied. <laughs> um, and then verse five, then I thought, Woe is me, I have been struck dumb, for I am a man of unclean speech, and I live among a people of unclean speech. I have seen the king, Jehovah of hosts, with mine own eyes. So confronted with the reality of Jehovah's presence, Isaiah feels a sense of unworthiness. As often occurs when a person sees God with his physical eyes, he is physically impaired, in this case, struck dumb. 
Believing he is smitten with a covenant curse, Isaiah is afraid not only for himself, but for his people. As we observe in the common imagery of unclean lips or unclean speech, leaving him with a desire to help his people. The king or the title of king reflects Jehovah's kingship over all the earth's and its inhabitants. Um, something that, that just kind of popped out to me, it's not totally directly related to this, but um, uh, Avraham talks about that it was commonplace in Israel. Um, we've kind of heard some of the stories that when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, that they would tie a string around his waist in case he was struck dead, that they could pull him out kind of a thing. But um, here in in this case, the, the king or the priest that is interceding on behalf of his people reflect his people's uh, righteousness. So like Isaiah, um, let's see, Isaiah is afraid not only for himself, but for his people. Um, he's seeing uh, God here in the temple and, and he's nervous for, for his people's sake. Um, because he knows of of some of their impurities and and is struck dumb uh, by that. I think that's interesting. Um, so verse six, then one of the seraphs flew to me carrying an ember, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. Touching it to my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips, your skin, or your skin, your sins are taken away, your transgressions atoned for. So there follows a classic opening of the mouth rite, such as also appears in the Egyptian temple ordinances. The seraphs taking an ember from the altar of atonement and declaring Isaiah clean implies that atonement has been made or will be made for his sins and transgressions. The burning ember signifies that Isaiah, by virtue of that atonement and through his own repentance process, has attained a purified and sanctified state and is now deemed holy. The opening of the mouth right implies the proper functioning of all the senses, physical and spiritual, as becomes evident when Isaiah is healed. Now, I think we could spend the rest of the time just on this verse. There's there's a lot here, right? Um, but it's not only in ancient Egyptian temple ordinances, but, but we find this opening of the mouth right in our ordinance as well. So what things do you learn from from this verse and this commentary that, that helps us better understand our own temple experience. Um, that, Are you uh, taking us to the initiatory? Is that where? Uh-huh, yeah. <clears throat> I, There's I something I don't understand. I I haven't like, I love Egyptian stuff, but I haven't like really put together that stuff that happened in Egyptian temples were righteous. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. So they, they have a lot of very similar things. Um, when we were studying Isaiah decoded, there was that, uh, the great pyramid of Giza is kind of the ascension motif and, and it mirrors our temples a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, so somewhere i can't remember where i've been studying lots of different things and and stuff but uh avraham goes on to explain what happens with the egyptian temple um opening of the mouth right and they bless the the mouth 
with certain things. They bless the eyes with certain things. They bless the legs and feet and, and so forth. I mean, it, it's kind of a mirror to, to, to what we do. And then um, here at the, this end paragraph, I think that it's, um, I don't know, it uh, helps me understand more. It says that uh, uh, the proper functioning of all the senses, both physical and spiritual, and um, it's usually done twice, once for the physicality and once for the spirituality. And, and I'd never considered that before. Uh, I think that that's interesting. Um, but what do we, uh, what, what phrases are used with, with our initiatory, with our endowment? Um, why do we do those things? Why do we have the opening of the mouth ritual or rite? Um, is to become clean from the blood and sins, right? And so uh, here we have Isaiah doing the same thing um, where a seraph, now I think that that's uh, also important to note that it, it doesn't just come from Jehovah, but, but this is a seraph, somebody that's higher on uh, the ladder than he at the moment is carrying this, uh, this ember from the holy altar or God's presence to where he's at and, um, and, and performs this ordinance or rite uh, upon him. Uh, I think uh, we have patterns of that all over the, the temple as well. So still symbolically, right? An ember mm -hmm. didn't touch his lips, but it's a symbolic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is uh, in vision. The, uh, uh, he's not actually seeing the seraphs in the actual temple, but he's seen in vision this whole process play out. Later on in chapter 40, uh, I believe that that is in person in, uh, not in vision anymore, but, you know, I, I'm not a gospel scholar either. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then uh, verse eight, then I heard the voice of my Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I replied, here am I, send me. Isaiah is seeing Jehovah in verse 5, and hearing his voice follows the pattern of a prophet seeing and hearing what God reveals to him in a vision. As Isaiah is healed of covenant curses through the atonement symbolized by the altar of atonement, moreover, so Jehovah himself is the author of that atonement, yet he bore our sufferings, endured our griefs through... Uh, Though we thought him stricken, smitten of God and humbled, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, the price of our peace he incurred, and with his wounds we are healed. Here am I, send me, now that Isaiah can speak again and desiring to do for his people as has been done for him, he gladly accepts Jehovah's prophetic commission to minister to his people. The verb send has the same Hebrew word as the noun apostle, signifying one who is sent to bear witness of what he has seen and heard. Although Jehovah personally commissions Isaiah, others have a vested interest in Isaiah's fulfilling his prophetic ministry. The words who will go for us signifies that heaven will minister to Isaiah even as Isaiah ministers to, to, to Jehovah's people. So I, I don't know, as soon as I, I read um, that verse, I was like, what else does that sound like? When else do we uh, hear the, the voice of deity saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And here am I, send me. 
Um, we see this in pre-mortal councils as, as well. I mean, there's there's lots of different- uh, But it's reversed, it's I am, he's ready to do the will of the father and here am I is still like on the, on the fence a little bit. Oh, uh-huh. So whenever Jesus says, it's always, um, I am, I am. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I wanted to, to kind of do with uh, this section. I, you know, I don't want to spend our whole class time in, in this format, but um, just showing how uh, helpful reading the apocalyptic commentary can be. Um, uh, I think we'll finish out uh, chapter six and seven using the comparative translation, but um, uh, yeah, I highly encourage going and either listening to the apocalyptic commentary or, or reading it here along with the verses. Um, IsaiahExplained.com is, is a very helpful resource to, to do that. So let's continue on with yeah, Karen. Yeah. Um, Janet's raising her hand. Oh, she is. Uh -huh. I think that was just from before, but. Oh, was it? Okay. Uh, when I'm sharing a screen, I can't unraise a hand, and so I, <laughs> I, I think it was okay. just from before. All righty. But, but thank you for for pointing it out. Okay. Let me know because sometimes I forget that. Also, we were just talking about here am I and here I am. Well, I am is one of uh, Jehovah's names. Mm -hmm. I am. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that that's, that's super significant there. All right, so there's verse eight where we just ended off. And, um, and then here it says, and he said, go and say to this people, Go on hearing, but not understanding. Go on seeing, but not perceiving. Make the heart of these people grow fat. Dull their ears and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, understand in their heart and repent and be healed. And I replied, for how long, my Lord? And he said, until the cities lie desolate and without inhabitant, the houses without a man and the land ravaged to ruin. For Jehovah will drive men away, and great shall be the exodus from the centers of the land. And while yet a tenth of the people remain in it or return, they shall be burned. But like the terebinth or the oak, when it is felled, whose stump remains alive, so shall the holy offspring be what is left standing. So <laughs> he's receiving this divine commission, but it's a, it's a daunting one to say the least. There's... Um, Prophesy until everybody's gone. <laughs> that, that would be uh, uh, quite the, the prophetic mission there. Uh, can you imagine if, if one of our, our modern prophets uh, received their, their call to a prophet and, okay, for how long? Well, until everybody's gone. <laughs> that would be a, a hard one to, to swallow there. Um, let's see. Let's go to chapter 7. Um, Mother, would you mind reading those for us? When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, risen king of Aram, and Pekah, Pe I don't know, do you say that Pekah or Pekah? I don't know. 
son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not overpower it. And when the house of David was informed that Aram was leading Ephraim on, the king's mind and the minds of his people were shaken, as trees in the forest are shaken by a gale. Then Jehovah said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and your son Shir Jazab, at the end of the aqueduct of the upper reservoir on the road to the laundry plaza. Say to him, see to it that you remain calm and unafraid. Be not intimidated by these two smoking tail ends of kindling, but the burning anger of Rezan and Aram and the son of Rem Remaliah. Even though Aram has conceived an evil plot against you, as has Ephraim and the sons of Remaliah, who say, let us invade Judah and stir up trouble there. We will take it for ourselves by force and set a ruler over it, the son of Tobiel. Thus says my Lord Jehovah, it shall not occur or transpire. For as surely as Damascus is the capital of Haram and Rezin is the head of Damascus, Within 65 years shall Ephraim be shattered as a nation. But as surely as Samaria is the capital of Ephraim and the son of Remaliah, the head of Samaria, you will not believe it because you are not loyal. So let's stop there and, and talk about it. Um, Here we have um, Jehovah telling Isaiah, as a son servant, to go to Ahaz and and tell him what he should be doing as a king. I mean, remember back, he's 20 years old, if, if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> and, and he takes him to the end of the aqueduct of the upper reservoir. So he's taking him to the Gihon Spring, where... The Gihong Spring is where all Davidic kings go and enter into the Davidic covenant for their people. So he's taking him back there uh, where he just made the covenant to, to rule his people righteously. And he's saying, okay, I'm going to tell you what's coming and what to do. Um, I think that that's, you know, highly important that um, the Lord is telling him, yes, Rezin and Aram, the son of Armaliah, these men are conspiring uh, uh, an evil plot against you but don't worry because if you keep the terms of the covenant i will protect you from this force and you don't have to worry about them um and and if you doubt that i will take care of you ask for a sign uh where does it say that oh we haven't uh talked about that yet but um Anyway, uh, I think that that's just highly significant here. We have the, the northern tribes of Israel that are uh, conspiring with, with outside forces the, in Samaria, uh, uh, making deals with Damascus or, 
or, or Syria as a whole, to overthrow the southern kingdom. Um, there's always been high tensions there and, and lots of uh, debate and uh, things. But anyway, then Jehovah says, you know, like, prove me now herewith. Um, and so let's uh, keep on, on reading here. It says that again, Jehovah addressed Ahaz and said, ask a sign for yourself from Jehovah, your God, whether in the depths below or in the heights above. Now, how do we kind of um, uh, reconcile this? Because how many times are we told not to ask for a sign? Why does Jehovah tell Ahaz to ask for a sign here? What, what could the possible implications be of that? I know, I was going to ask you that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I, there's lots of different things floating through my head. But one of them is that maybe the Davidic covenant, um, the Davidic covenant keepers, or maybe even sun seraph levels, have that ability to ask for signs um, to to confirm some of the, the terms of, of covenants. I don't know. I, running theories in my head, but... Um, it's possible. But anyway, he, he tells Ahaz to, to ask for a sign and he kind of leaves it up to him, you know, ask anything in the depths below or the heights above and, and I'll give it to you. But Ahaz said, I will not, I will not put Jehovah to the test. I think that that's very reminiscent of like Laman and Lemuel, you know, Nephi asks him, oh, have you asked the Lord? No, the, the Lord doesn't make anything like that known to us. Ahaz keep in mind Ahaz is this 20 year old new ruler of the southern kingdom there's people conspiring against him I for one if I was in the same position I would be scared out of my mind and going okay whatever if somebody's promising protection I'll, I'm gonna take it <laughs> I you know asked for a sign okay done uh, I don't want to get <laughs> overtaken and, and ruled over but um, this is a pretty bold statement I think King Ahaz, I will not, I will not put Jehovah to the test. Then Isaiah said, take heed, O house of David. It is not enough for you to try the patience of men. Must you also try the patience of my God? Therefore will the Lord of himself give you the sign. The young woman with child shall give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. And um, I think that this is an interesting uh, comparison from the King James that uh, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So many gospel scholars and uh, things take this King James and here it has all of the keywords, virgin, bear a son, Emmanuel, uh, apply this directly to Christ. But uh, this is not a, a direct comparison to Christ. The, the Lord is saying that Isaiah's wife being a virgin, will conceive a, a child and um, uh, that he should have a, a certain name. And then um, we have cream and honey. Wait, he wait a second, go back. Where do you get that from? <laughs> uh, from like uh, Abraham's uh, commentaries and, and things. So we have uh, throughout this chapter and the next few chapters, we have um, uh, Isaiah... Uh, giving birth to a, a few different sons and, and calling them uh, different names. So we have the, the first one up here, which is uh, Sher Jashub. And then we have Meher Shalal Hashbaz later on, 
um, and then a um, an Emmanuel. So isn't the whole handles Messiah based on that one verse right there? Uh-huh. <laughs> yep, exactly. And if you read uh, or, or listen to the commentary on uh, these chapters from this week, uh, Avraham points out like, yeah, uh, Handel's Messiah kind of got it wrong. <laughs> they, it was pointing to, to different things, not necessarily to... Uh, everything can have dual meanings, right? I mean, if we've learned anything from scriptures, um, but uh, those were, were in their literal sense, not pointed towards the Messiah. Here a little later on, I, anyway, in my reading this week, it it talks about the prophetess giving birth, and mm -hmm. yeah. Isaiah's wife is a prophetess, and it's referring to her. Mm -hmm. I guess it's not in this chapter, but it, I read it. Yeah. Um, let's see. 15. Um, so cream and honey, will he eat by the time that he has learned to reject what is evil and choose what is good? But before the child learns to reject the evil and choose the good, the land whose two rulers you loathe shall lie forsaken. Jehovah will bring upon you and your people and your father's house a day unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah, the day of the king of Assyria. So I think that that's a, a huge verse right there in uh, verse 17, that um, this when Ephraim broke away from Judah, when the tribes split, um, uh, Jehovah will bring a day that blows that one out of the water kind of thing, uh, the day of the, the king of Assyria. Uh, if we've learned anything from Isaiah decoded, talking about the king of Assyria, and especially in the end time context of things, um, that's, that's a, a huge um, part of, of the whole story here. Um, in that day, Jehovah will signal for the flies from the far rivers of Egypt and for the bees in the land of Assyria. So we're talking north and south um, coming in. And they will come and settle with one accord in the riverbeds of the prairie and in rocky ravines and by all ditches and water holes. In that day, my Lord will use a razor hired at the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hair of your legs and to cut off even your beard. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and a pair of sheep. And because of their plentiful milk, men will eat the cream. All who remain in the land will feed on cream and honey. In that day, every plot of ground with a thousand vines worth a thousand pieces of currency shall be briars and thorns. Men will go there with bows and arrows, for the whole land shall revert to wilderness. And on all hillsides cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go for fear of the briars and thorns, but they shall serve as a cattle range, a terrain for sheep to tread down. I think there's lots of <laughs> interesting uh, things there. Um, but let's go and read the, the commentary for, for verse 20 here. Sorry for scrolling fast. Um, here. So it says that foreign armies represented by swarms of flies and bees invade the land in Jehovah's day of judgment, implementing his covenant curse. 
the king of Assyria, Jehovah's razor, takes captive the wicked of Jehovah's people, shaving their hair in the manner of slaves. Because that was something that, that really confused me when I first read it. I'm like, why are they cutting off all of the hair, hair of the head, hair of the legs, uh, even the hair of the beard? Um, but slaves were often kept in close quarters and uh, to prevent lice and, and disease and all of that kind of stuff, uh, they, they always um, uh, shaved all hair. So historically, referring to the Euphrates or the river, here characterizes the arch tyrant as Lord Nehar or Lord River, a god of chaos in the Baal myth. The words head and beard allude to the people's leaders whom the Assyrians exile first as they did anciently, leaving the people leaderless. So also the, the hair um, that uh, it's talking about here, not only points to, towards slaves, but also to uh, the people being leaderless, um, a covenant curse there. So anyway, there's, there's a lot of <laughs> interesting um, things just in the, this first part um, where we're, we're talking about rebellion and compliance. Uh, this is the, the part of the chiasm that builds upon the ruin and rebirth we talked about in the past couple of weeks. But Ahaz is not doing so well, right? He, he's openly defying what the prophet is telling him to do. And, um, and he's going to, to bring about the, the ruin that rebellion causes. When we rebel, we bring ruin upon ourselves. Um, and, and not to just a little degree. Um, we, we see major things happening here that um, are going to take many, many years to, to reverse uh, a ruin. And so, um, you know, as we, we look forward next week, we'll, we'll look into the story of, of King Hezekiah and um, some of his uh, examples of compliance with the, the law of Jehovah, etc. Um, but it... It's interesting how this, this literary pattern of, uh, that Isaiah is presenting and writing in is building upon each other. Yes, we see ruin and rebirth now throughout the rest of the text, and now we will see rebellion and compliance throughout the rest of the text. Ahaz and King Hezekiah are the, the main examples of those two themes, um, one that, that showed rebellion and one that shows re compliance will, will play a key part in moving throughout the text of Isaiah, but also in our modern day, uh, we'll see those uh, popping uh, back and forth as well. Anyway, just final comments, thoughts, <laughs> things. I mean, we've covered a lot of uh, uh, material just in these, these two chapters here. Uh, it takes a, a lot of study and, and things to, to really dive in and, and get those. But um, anyway, any questions or comments? It's just interesting how Ahaz chooses to <clears throat> go in and have the king of Assyria, you know, protecting him. Mm -hmm. When it's known back in them days, those days, that um, that king's very barbaric and the up in Nineveh, you just, I mean, they're cruel and they do horrid things 
you know, why is he trusting this? Uh, I mean, he's the worst of the worst there, you know? I don't know. It's interesting, his thought pattern there. But, you know, when you're not, when you're working against God, like he is, he's rebelling. He's not listening to Isaiah, who's telling him. I mean, if he would have listened to Isaiah, it would have been a lot better off. Yeah. But he's choosing. He's choosing not to follow God. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like look at um, King Ahaz. He's a 20-year-old. Uh, his father was not very righteous either and just didn't have a good foundation. And you hear of this, this distant leader who skins people alive in front of their families. He gouges people's eyes out um, and, and makes their, their children watch. It sometimes even has their children perform it. Um, he impales the leaders from, from the rectum up through their, their abdomen and, and hoists them up and, and carries them about town. Um, yeah, these, these are awful things. I mean, you, you hear of this stuff and you're like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to avoid this. And skins them alive. I'm just about the, all the most horrid things that you could torture a person with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these things are touted and uh, to instill fear so that people do comply. And you know, I, you know, I, as a covenant keeper, I would definitely trust in the Lord. But um, if I hadn't been raised in, in righteousness, uh, and I was put in King Ahaz's shoes, as a, a young 20 year old without much experience, maybe I would have done the same thing. I don't know. I mean, uh, when a prophet of the Lord comes and tells you, though, you, you act and comply and, and, and you'll be blessed. But I mean, the, the rest of the world's against you, you know, even your own family, the northern tribes are conspiring against you. And, and these ones are, um, you're just wanting to, to survive. You're not wanting to get impaled and skinned alive and everything. And so kind of making a, a treaty with the devil, the, the king of Assyria, you know, it, it has its appeals, you know, let's not disregard all of his, his rationale, because, um, his forefathers didn't instill in him true and correct principles either. But regardless, it, it's not complying when a prophet comes and, and tells you the, the will of Jehovah and how Jehovah will save and redeem that, that it can, can be done. And I think that all plays in, <laughs> uh, uh, what's her name? All of a sudden her name left me, Janet, uh, Janet left already, but she, she asked like, um, who do I think is, is our, uh, things in, in the end time. But I think we're, we're seeing some of this play out. Um, we have kind of crazy times that we're living through and crazy times ahead. Um, but if you're not raised in righteousness, when the prophet comes and tells you to, to do certain things or to, um, to avoid, uh, covenantal curses, uh, we might see some of these same kind of things playing out. Um, who is our King Ahaz? Who is our Isaiah? I don't know. <laughs> but um, there's there's lots of interesting parallels if we'll take time to ponder and uh, uh, to look at some of these things. But yeah. So I'll throw the question back at, at Laura. Do, are you starting to understand Isaiah and <laughs> things as well? <laughs> Finally getting a, a handle on it. It's, it's a hard one. <laughs> so I like how you, um, you pulled up the Isaiah explained again. I forgot about that. And you have to do that on the computer, right? 
the Isaiah explained uh, can be on the, the phone, tablet, or the computer. The other one that I showed is uh, the Isaiah Explorer, and that one is only on a desktop. So let me just pull up the two just to show them side by side to, to show you what their difference is. Um, so the Isaiah Explained is uh, just these four things here. So the, the Isaiah Institute translation, the comparative translation with King James and the Masoretic, the apocalyptic commentary and the concordance where you can click on the words and see them throughout the, the thing. Um, but the Isaiah Explorer was not developed by Avraham or, or any of his people um, in the Isaiah Institute, but this was just a, a person uh, going through and uh, putting a lot of work into uh, comparisons and, and different translations. And so you can look at like the uh, NSRV or the NIV, the uh, King James, etc. You can look at uh, chiastic structures um, uh, with uh, this chiasm explorer. Um, anyway, it has a lot more detailed things that are somewhat daunting. To, to even uh, get into, but that one's only on the a desktop computer to access those. Can you zoom but, into those? What was that? Can you zoom into that? Oh, yes. Did you tell, that, should you tell us about that one? Because that one seems new to me. They explained, I got, so Isaiah explained an explorer. Uh -huh, yes. So, um, yeah, let me, I'm just pulling it back up. Yes, so Isaiah Explorer, again, it's not by Avraham or, or the Isaiah Institute, but uh, another computer programmer put this together. And uh, it's a great way to look at different structures. So you can look at Isaiah's seven part structure as a whole. You can look at the, uh, the three tests of loyalty, allegiance, idolatry, and persecution. It, it breaks it down in lots of different areas of study. Um, it has the, the chiasm viewer, uh, like uh, we have here. You can try to, to zoom in if my... So do you think this person pulled off of Abraham's stuff or...? Yes, for sure. I, and he has permission from Abraham. Uh, oh, adopted from. Okay, got it. Uh -huh, but it is just a independently developed uh, thing. Can you throw that, um, that link in the chat? Yeah, for sure. So Isaiah Explained is from the Isaiah Institute. Can you and, go back to that Isaiah Explained? Mm -hmm. um, yep. And I will put a link to, to the other one as well. So the six, which one is the Explorer? Is the top one. So it's isaiah.scripture.guide is the, the website address uh, versus isaiahexplained.com is the, the first one that we've been using tonight. There's a way to send this to yourself or something, right? How do you do that? I'm going to auto highlight. Uh, and I can text those to you as well if you'd like. That'd be really cool. Uh -huh. So, Mother, you said you wanted to go back to Isaiah Explained? Uh huh. I just wanted to show the feature that I really enjoy. It, it helps me about as much as anything is. Oh, sorry, it's not on there, is it? Just a second. <laughs> I thought okay. I was sharing the screen. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so over there, and can you show me where the you can play the little clips from uh, Abraham where he's talking? Like the, 
Oh, oh the yeah. Um, so in the the apocalyptic commentary here, you can actually listen to his commentary. So it's there on the screen, but he actually talks more at length in his commentaries. And so seven, when Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzzah. Um, it's just this little bar over here. If I get it on the phone, it'll be underneath. I get so much out of that. Like you see there, it's that one's 38 minutes. It it'll play whichever chapter you're on. And but that that gives me insight in a good way. I really like to do that each week. Mm -hmm. I've listened to all those and then I forget. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> me too. Uh, there's so much because this is my first time through Isaiah and I'm just like learning so much, but I never know where it exactly comes from. If it's from this book or this or his commentary here or what, sometimes mm -hmm. I have a hard time with that, but yeah, uh, forgetting it is, is very interesting. Um, this last week I was listening to, um, his series on, uh, visions, near death experiences, etc. And one of the, the cautions that he put out was that as soon as you start studying Isaiah, don't start teaching it for at least two years until you have a good grasp on it, uh, until you can actually start um, saying it coherently and, uh, and helping people, um, because if you, you can easily get off base. And so I want to like issue that same thing out, because, you know, I'm just going through Isaiah for the very first time. I might misspeak. I might do things that uh, are, are different. So always go to, to more advanced people than, than me that, that can really talk about Isaiah. So all of his commentaries and things are um, very helpful. But uh, just going through the scriptures with the spirit is, uh, is huge. Uh, we have to, to learn how to do that as well. Um, because, yeah, there's, there's so many times I, I forget things or... Uh, don't draw the right conclusions or, uh, you know, I learned something this week and then next week, oh, now I finally am starting to kind of get it on a, on a different level. But yeah, Isaiah is, is quite the, the mind bender. <laughs> it keeps you on your toes all the time. Right, for sure. But yeah. Well, Anyways. someone was saying that um, if, if we're not retaining something, it's because of, um, my wine went like there. Oh, we're not ready for it yet. Uh, but as we go along and we grasp onto uh, a concept uh, that we're ready for, then we will retain that. And so it just kind of shows how complex this is because it is, it's hard to retain it. But, but you do, you know, bits and pieces. It's a, it's a process there. It does. You can't eat the elephant all at once. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a tasty <laughs> elephant nonetheless. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I have just loved going through Isaiah. I'm, I'm so glad that, that it was put forth to, that we study this as a book club and stuff that, man, there's so much stuff here that I've been missing uh, and I just didn't even know I was missing it. Um, it, it takes a lot of work and uh, a lot of effort, but it's so worth it. Uh, knowing some of these things in an end time uh, scenario as well uh, really does help us prepare for um, the future and uh, to handle it with faith because we, 
if there's one thing that we can can count on 100% is that the Lord works in patterns. Um, what has shall be, and and we'll we'll always see the pattern uh, manifesting itself over and over again. And so when we look at Isaiah, whom the Lord commanded that we study, um, because he has the the full pattern, as we study his words and and his uh, patterns as he lays them out, we can start uh, really seeing our day and and our fulfillment in um, in our individual missions and, and things as we, we go forward. I think that that's such a awesome thing. <laughs> I, I've never uh, known, well, let's see, how do I put that? So um, I'm getting a, a more fuller and complete picture of who I am to the Lord and, and my role in his kingdom through Isaiah than I am with most other prophets. You know, yes, we get it in the Book of Mormon, but it's because they're quoting Isaiah all the time. Um, I, I find that um, Isaiah is just where it's at. Um, when we see that, we can start seeing ourselves in uh, the actual plan of salvation and how it all fits together. Well, I can hardly wait to go back to the temple, that's for sure. Oh, man. Is your temple not open yet? Um, it'll open in a few weeks. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I, I've been back a couple times it's been so fun i was able to go back um just this last thursday for the first time it was so exciting that's um, cool i did it uh, i went to my sister friend's ceiling in um october and then we did baptisms a few weeks ago but i have not been back for anything else so. uh-huh i did i tell you what when i was going through an endowment i was thinking back like okay the last time i was here what did i know and I was like, oh my gosh, that was before any of like Moss or Jody's videos. That was before in, that was before these book clubs that, I mean, so much has changed since I, I've been to the temple last. And I, I tell you, going through the endowment was so stressful. I came out of there with like, I, I was just tired. I was exhausted from trying to put all of my, my newfound learning into one endowment session i was <laughs> i was worn out <laughs> i just got home and slept <laughs> but there's so much there when you're studying Isaiah and and even like from uh the book of abraham that we were uh doing last time uh oh man the patterns in the endowment are just exponential there's stuff that i i don't think i would have saw any other way um and especially with a good year of of downtime to focus on those things and then come back with, with a fresh new paradigm. Oh, the, the temple is so fun. <laughs> yeah. Especially the initiatory. I, I don't know. The initiatory is just, I've seen it in so many new lights with, with Isaiah. It's fun. Well, I'm excited and, and I've done temple trips in my head. Um, uh -huh a lot so I, I have a lot of it memorized but i'm excited to go and, and there yeah yeah for sure all right well it's been fun <laughs> hopefully this class and this approach wasn't too boring so just throwing that out there what kind of approaches to um, studying the actual verses of scripture is always kind of a different uh, uh, thing to tackle rather than just a book club where we study a chapter and kind of come to discuss it. 
what kind of approaches do you want to take in class? Uh, something kind of like we did today or, or like we did last week is, is that good? I, you know, I want this to be fun and engaging and exciting for people, but um, you know, sometimes uh, that can kind of be boring just going verse by verse and commentary, et cetera. I think where you can point out um, the decoded stuff too, when we're reading it, go, this okay. is like you've done, you've been doing that. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that's really helpful to, to point it together that he didn't just like pull us out of the air somewhere. Here it is it's mm -hmm. in here in the King James, you know, it's right here. Mm -hmm. I have to go back over that, that one verse that we talked about with um, Handel's Messiah. <laughs> oh, yes. I'll, I'll find the podcast that I was listening to this last week about that as well. It was like, whoa. Yeah, I'll send that to you. And then I'll also text you the links for those those two websites as well so that you'll have those to, to reference. Awesome. Thank you. And I love your um, remind. That's so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Time too. Like, oh, wait, I didn't get to that. Let me do that. And so I spent a couple hours studying. That was perfect. Mm-hmm. So then it's like fresh. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Sometimes if I study it too far in advance, then it's not fresh for when we're actually in class, kind of thing. Right. Yep. Thank you for all your work. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for everyone for showing up, having lots of good discussion and, and everything. It's been fun. Yeah. All right. We'll Thank see you everyone. for everything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Next week, Hezekiah. It's going to be a, a fun trip. Hezekiah is a great. Uh, example and, and study. Uh, if you're not familiar with his um, ministry, his reign or whatever, I encourage uh, to, to go through uh, the word. It's in like Kings and Chronicles. I mean, there's lots of different examples of uh, his ministry to kind of do a refresher on. Uh, I, I find I always go to YouTube and, and type in these things and see if there's uh, good commentaries there or like a Wikipedia page kind of summarizes sometimes uh, that stuff really well. Bible dictionary, etc. Well, yeah. if there's anything you ever want to share, feel free to send it out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Will do. But yeah. This is what I studied today. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So um yeah, uh with King Ahaz, we're we're kind of studying the, the parent version of it, but with King Hezekiah, uh pick it up on a really good note next week as we kind of round out this rebellion and compliance. It'll be super fun. But yeah. All right. We'll see everyone next week. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great week.